Here's some cold hard truth. The standard nonprofit business model pre-COVID had some serious flaws. Now, I'm not here to list them or to judge them. Today, I want to focus on one of them in particular, revenue diversity. Come on, fess up. Pre-COVID, I'm going to guess you had some element of real vulnerability in how you raised money. Maybe one big grant or a founding donor. Or the most likely scenario, more than 50% of your gross revenue came from your annual gala or a handful of ticketed events. I lead a membership site with thousands of leaders of small nonprofits, and this was challenge number one for so many of them. How'd we get here? Well, special events are one of your very best vehicles to make money, grow your army of people to know and do more for your organization. A special event presents a five-star opportunity to cultivate new stakeholders and donors and, yes, generate revenue. Boards love them, too. A bit too much, frankly. A board member would choose to sell tickets rather than ask for outright gifts almost any day. And so they push the organization toward ticketed events, and there is a never-ending email trail of board members with quote-unquote fantastic ideas that you should consider adding to your docket for next year. And then, in the spring of 2020, the world changed completely and forever. And just like that, no more gatherings. And a terrifying pandemic ignited the problem solver in you. You know, the attribute that led you to nonprofit leadership to begin with? Some folks approach that challenge with, quote, I guess I'll have to take my event virtual. Others went to the root. It's time for me to think differently about how to meet the goals that a special event met. I know you hear the difference. So today we're going to talk to folks who for over 25 years have been fueling nonprofit organizations in the Northeast by designing and executing five-star special events. I thought it might be helpful to all of you to hear from them, what they've seen this year, what they're recommending to clients, and how they are approaching 2021. I'm imagining you listening to this podcast and staring at your 2021 budget. Perhaps your head is in your hands. It's time to pick up your head and lift your gaze. And today, we're going to help you. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. Learn more at joangary.com. I'm a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector, my goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Let me introduce you to our two guests today. First, Liz Page. In 1994, Liz established Liz Page Associates and combined her theatrical talent with a passion for the arts and human services. Under her leadership, LPA has built a reputation for producing special events for nonprofits and corporations that not only meet but exceed significant financial, marketing, and engagement goals. Engagement goals. Liz and her team create signature experiences with unforgettable power and style to help organizations reach their next level of success and visibility. 
It is always nice to talk to Liz Page. Liz, welcome. So nice to be here with you, Joan. And happy to talk about this fascinating new world we find ourselves in. <laughs> so Liz is also joined by her co- colleague, Amanda Harless. Since joining Liz Page Associates in 2001, that would be 19 years ago if my math is right, Amanda has specialized in turning big ideas into detailed roadmaps that take clients from their vision to reality. She guides event design and fundraising strategy by partnering with corporate and nonprofit clients. She began her career in development and external affairs at the YWCA in Boston, helping to produce the annual women's event, women's leadership event, a showcase of top female leaders in greater Boston. Amanda, it is a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Joan. It's great to be here with you today. So Liz, let's start with you. The challenge of nonprofits being overly reliant on special events. This challenge for nonprofits has actually been your meat and potatoes for 25 years. And so I'm I'm mostly interested in as a firm that's in the business of special events, um, this must have been a challenging year for you. And I wondered how you and Amanda navigated 2020 from a business perspective. Well, it was it has been a fascinating journey. I will tell you, it started in February when we were producing a conference in Lake Tahoe. And Amanda said, you know, have you guys heard about COVID? Do we think we need a COVID protocol of what if something happens while we're all gathered uh, in this big uh, resort in Lake Tahoe? And that was in February? That that was was in February. Okay. So, Amanda put together what if, the scenario of what if, thought through, but not as detailed uh, as we would find out it would need to be. Then we got back to Boston and really had an oh shit moment (laughs) when life stopped. And I saw my staff walk out on a Friday afternoon, never to return until uh, they're still not back. Right. You know, I feel like there's a cigarette. Uh, smoking in an ashtray at a at a desktop or there's ice cubes melting in a tumbler. It's just life stopped and the blessing for us, and I have to say kudos to Amanda, the blessing for us is that within a week, she had found a certification course from the Event Leadership Institute where we sent two of our event producers and they became certified virtual meeting and event planners. And they learned about this new world. And we were able to quickly take it to our clients who were on the precipice. I'll tell you that was the game changer for us. And then I have to give kudos, the PPP, we got, we were one of the first, I worked with a great bank that we had already established a relationship with, which was really important. We got PPP funding, and I, I want to say it is part of why we are still here today. Um, and you are on, uh, on a very long line of people who are very much saved by that. <clears throat> um, yeah. So um, I know that from my perspective, and I also deal with nonprofit clients, obviously, that I've learned a lot about nonprofit leaders this year. And before we dig into the details of special events and what you, I want to learn sort of big takeaways from your certification too, Amanda. Um, uh, 
But, you know, Liz, you've been a part of the Boston nonprofit community for a long time and know a lot of nonprofit leaders. I'd really like to know what you learned about nonprofit leaders this year. What did, what did you learn about them? You know, I learned that they kind of fall into three groups. There's the adventurous and the desperate, and, and they're, they're in one group. And they were the ones who clearly saw, oh, my God, my special event that is truly, we, we work with many nonprofits that it is not half of their budget, not, not half of their income, Joan. It is like 95% of their income, right. which means these events are, you know, for these small organizations, they're mega blasters. You know, they're a million plus. But some of those um, uh, executive directors said, we're going ahead. We're going to do it virtual. I don't care if it's all on Zoom. We are going to do something on, you know, May 21st. So that was great. There were others who were more cautious. They said, I don't know about this world. I don't know how my my sponsors are going to react or how my audience is going to react. And I am lucky enough that I have a reserve. I have saved for this rainy day. So we are going to let go of this annual event and we are going to not do it, period. And there were other brave ones who said, you know what? We're going to be creative. We're going to make this work. We're going to postpone for a few months, but then we are going to do something. And let's do it as good as we can in this virtual world. And that's when they appreciated us as event producers, Joan, more than ever before. I have to say there was a moment when the when COVID started where I thought, gee, we're going to the world needs television producers now. They need fundraising television producers. They no longer need live event producers. But when we learned about the virtual event, we realized that these organizations needed us more than ever to manage this second by second world. So interesting. Um, I, I, I want to, I want to go to Amanda and, um, ask the same question. And then I want to talk about what you have learned about the virtual event. Um, so Amanda, what did you learn about nonprofit leaders, perhaps that surprised you or affirmed what you knew about their attributes? I think it's been fascinating to see the level of creativity from nonprofit leaders. They really had to step into the unknown um, in, in many different ways. They had to look creatively at, you know, how do we bump up our annual fund? How do we work with major donors differently? How do we take on virtual events that we know nothing about yet, but we're just going to be creative and trusting? And um, it's been great to have that kind of partnership with our clients who are willing to step into the unknown with us. Well, and I I would also think that in in some ways, um, it it probably ignited this sort of that nimble creative juices that you have as a firm to be able to uh, uh, open them to, they would be more receptive and open to more creative ideas. I think it's true. And one of the most important uh, takeaways from our education and experience now with virtual events is that you can't simply take your old event 
and recreate it in the virtual space. Right. And that's been an area where our clients have really leaned on us. First of all, to share that piece of information with them and then to figure out what to do with that piece of information. So how do we take this great content, this great structure um, that used to work in the ballroom on the stage and how do we find those essential elements to bring forward in the virtual event? And we've had a great sense of partnership with our clients in doing that. It seems too that um, part of the problem, of course, is that they don't, they had no idea what that would look like, right? All they could imagine is I do X and now I'm going to do X on Zoom. Right? Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that's a fast pass to big problems. Um, I, I I don't know what kind of interaction, Liz or Amanda, you have with um, sort of how executive directors have to sell or advocate for ideas with their boards. But um, one of the things that I have seen in 2020 is that executive directors have got have have actually had more freedom to be more creative and nimble and take more chances than a board might typically have the appetite for. So that, you know, if you think about a lot of boards, I mean, and maybe you'll disagree with me on this, but a lot of boards, they consider their their job as kind of risk management. Let's make sure we don't spend too much money. Let's make sure we don't overstate our revenue. And in, and in so doing can often quell the um, the potential appetite that an executive director needs to have for innovation, for being nimble, for trying something new that might not work. And I, and I wonder if in your experience this year with executive directors, if you have sort of even through hearsay sort of grown to understand that the organization has become less risk averse as a result of um, dark times. I I think that's true. I think I think they have become more creative. But I want to say that one of the enemies of the virtual world has been board members seeing poorly done virtual events uh-huh. and bringing that perspective. Oh, we don't want to go there. I was at a terrible one the other night, and the Zoom, um, you know, glitched out on us, and I lost the whole thing, or yeah. I couldn't hear the speaker. So one of the hard parts was, you know, to say, wait, 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 it can be done much better. Um, Don't judge that by that early bad experience. And that's talking about Zoom, right? Virtual events don't belong on Zoom. Stop with the Zoom already. (laughs) Maybe that's the name of, maybe I should retitle my podcast. Stop with the enough already with the Zoom thing. Um, So, okay. So stop already with the Zoom. So you, you went to get and got uh, sort of certified around, around virtual meetings and events. I want to know what you learned. Um, what were the takeaways that you were able to educate, how you were able to educate your clients and in so doing, educating those folks who are listening today? Well, first of all, we started by getting a, a, a base of knowledge that was truly at a base. It was the basics. How do virtual events work? You know, what is the kind of technology you need? What are the parts and pieces? How do you put a staffing plan together to do the planning and execution? Um, you know, so much of the, the how-to, the tactical uh, was, was new to us because it, it really does require a different structure 
uh, than the than the live events world. We also learned a tremendous amount about the new opportunities um, that would be presented to us. So we can now uh, webcast to a global audience. And how does that change your marketing? How does that change your messaging? How does that change your sponsorship benefits? There are a variety of new ways to think about how we do these events. And, and Joan, I think the thing that's been so exciting about 2020 has been this attitude of experimentation and that organizations can bring their audiences in um, to this, to this you know, sort of vibe of experimentation saying, we're trying this new thing. Try it with us. You know, be a part of this new experience with us and let's see if it works for our future. Um, and it's been, it's been really fun to see that, that flexibility, that creativity, that, that sense of adventure. So Liz, what does it take to make a, spe- a virtual event special? What are the ingredients? You need, you need, um, you need a, a, a great videographer, a video producer who can work with you to tell the story of that organization in a more intimate way than we've ever been able to tell it. You know, many of us will work to put a client on stage or a guest or, you know, a family who's been impacted, a parent who's been impacted. And in the past, we've put that parent, you know, at a podium in the middle of a ballroom with 500 people staring at them and asking them to tell their most, you know, a painful story about their family. Oh, and while those guests are also chatting amongst themselves, chomping on breadsticks. Right. Right. And you do not necessarily have at, 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 my, at my firm, we call it, you have their divided attention. <laughs> That's very true. But now you can, with a camera and a great interviewer, sit in that homeless shelter with a mother or sit in that hospital room with someone who has recovered from cancer or walk the streets with um, a social worker and see that homeless person and that community and that interaction. You can sit down and have the most intimate conversation. Um, We just finished uh, uh, an event for the New England Innocence Project where we got a chance to ask exonerees who had been freed from prison what freedom meant to them. And to have a camera up close to that face and to see in their eyes what freedom meant to them as they explained that. That was so much of a powerful, intimate experience that we would never have gotten on the live stage that not only did we get, did we capture on camera, but we have it for the rest of eternity now. Mm -hmm. We can show it again and again and again. So I don't know if that answered your question, but well, no, I, I think so what much I, opportunity here. Yeah, that's what I want to hear is I want to hear about the opportunity. And what I heard from you, Liz, was one of the opportunities is intimacy, right? Yes. Right. And I, I talk about this a lot when people say, oh, I can't make a major donor ask over Zoom. Yes, you can. 
Yes, you can. Yes, you can, because I'm not, I'm not sitting. So if you're asking me for money, first of all, I have to decide, am I going to have the chicken Caesar? Am I going to have the tuna nisquas? Right. <laughs> and then the, the, the waiter's going to interrupt me. And then there's going to be a noisy couple at table 16. Right. And like, there's so much distraction. So you have my divided attention at a restaurant. Whereas if I'm in my sweatpants, which Amanda says she wears all the time, <laughs> that um, that uh, if I'm in my sweatpants and I'm in my home, I'm actually ready to have like a conversation that feels really authentic. Um, so I think that the, the, the intimacy piece around virtual events is really important. But I, I think um, the, the first question I asked was, what's the recipe for a successful virtual event? And your first answer was an excellent video producer. Amanda, what else is required in order for a virtual event to be uh, to to really be a five-star event? I would say it starts with planning, planning, planning. Um, what we have discovered is that so much of the detailed planning has to happen at the very beginning of a project. You have to understand what is going to be the scope of your program. How many elements will be included? Um, what are the activities we want the audience to undertake? Because in order to plan your budget, you need to know how many filming days. You need to know what locations, what cities you're going to be filming in. Um, there is so much to sort out at the very beginning right. um, in order to set a successful path for a virtual event and to line up your vendors. And I would say vendors are a key piece of this. You would have never done your event in a ballroom as a DIY project without an AV company, without a video producer, maybe without a um, graphic designer and an event producer, those that team is all still super relevant to the virtual world. So really start your planning process very early, bring in that appropriate professional team and work to create a top-notch professional product. This has been the biggest mind twist, Joan, for us, is that it used to be you know, we'd get hired to come in to a project and we'd work with the committee and the staff to refine that message and figure out what that dramatic event was going to be in that venue. And we'd kind of focus in on it and, and build it together. You got to build that plane while you're flying it in the virtual world. You have to figure out who's going to be in it. What is the celebrity um uh, uh, component here. Who's going to be your guest star? How many, how many, um, as Amanda said, days of shooting, what's going to be the message? Who's the animation? I, I mean, there's just so many things that you have to figure out in advance before you can even start filming. Well, I think there's also something else. And Amanda, tell me if you think I'm right about this in terms of the planning part of, part of any kind of plan is what's your goal? What are your goals, right? And I think that in the pre-COVID world, uh, that it's possible. And I'm again, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying not to be overly critical or judgy. That nonprofit executive directors or development directors fo hyper focused on how much money am I going to raise, right? And I. My own experience of being a part of virtual events and attending them in this calendar year has been that the goals are actually broader and that it's forcing nonprofit leaders to think 
more broadly about um, about events which they should have been doing all along. What do you think, Amanda? You know, it's a, it's a tricky situation, Jim, because these are fundraising events. They have to raise significant funds in order to exist and in order to sustain the organization. So, yes, we were hyper-focused on gross income. I think we still are (laughs) because we have to be. Um, But you are absolutely right that we have a broader set of goals right now because we are able to engage uh, wider audiences now. We're able to attract different audiences to these virtual events than we ever could have before. And that's a real silver lining to these events. But it does change the way that we're uh, setting up the program. Um, and I, and I, I do think you're right, you know, that we, we, we have to set our goals, our messages, figure out what our content is at the beginning of the process. That was true for the live events world. And that is true for the virtual events world to an even greater degree. You know, we've been banging the drum for years, Joan, when we work with an organization that the the next big step of a successful event is what you do the next morning, mm-hmm. who you get on the phone with, who you talk to, who you deliver a basket of flowers to, who you set up a cocktail with, that that is the harvest of this work that we've been doing for nine months. And unfortunately, many people don't get that still. Completely true. I, I, I often say that special events at their best raise lots of money and are bait. Yes. <laughs> right? They're bait. Is they that are, I, you, take, you are taking that special event and you're taking it and putting it on a tee. Completely. And you are taking the best golf club and you are taking a whack at it. And then where does that ball go is up to you with what you do with everybody who was crying in that ballroom, yep. who was giving you a standing ovation, who is looking at their table host and saying, God, I'm glad you invited me to this. I love this organization. I love what I'm hearing. Exactly. Your next board members your next major donor, your next volunteer, your your best volunteer is sitting in that audience right now. Harvest them. Yep, it is it, it is it is all about it is a big room virtual or otherwise of people that you are cultivating. Right? You're priming the pump. You're you want them to leave the virtual or real ballroom, right? And say, oh my gosh, I didn't know about that organization. Oh, I, I, I didn't know they did that. I, 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 I go home and I tell people that I was lucky enough to spend the evening learning about blah, blah, blah. And if you don't actually go and grab those people later, that is what a huge missed opportunity, not just for you, but for those people that you got all juiced up. They're ready. They're ready to be invited to know more and do more. And, you know, when you don't follow up with them, I think you do a harm to your organization because we've talked to lots of people who said, you know, I went to this great event. I loved what I heard and I never heard from them again. Yep. I actually I do believe that, by the way, I and that that one of the silver linings of 2020 is um, is that. um at least I have been preaching about um, stewardship 
and checking in on your donors and your your posse of stakeholders, making sure they're okay, because those are the people, the people closest to your organization are the people that are going to be the posse that's going to help you thrive when we get to the other side. Um, Absolutely. Communication, communication, communication. Pick up the phone to those sponsors that, that invested in your event last year and talk to them now. Tell them what you're doing in as a COVID response. Engage and find out how they're doing as well. Yep. And one of the things I would add is that feeling of connection that comes out of an event. You know, we had a lot of ways to create that feeling before. It was the physical space. It was the lighting. It was the food. It was the company. Um, it was the overall vibe of the event. Now, all of the pressure is on the program. So we have to develop really excellent programs. We have to be totally focused on that script, making sure we're telling uh, a story in an elegant and impactful way, that we're not repeating ourselves throughout the program. We have to be very, very focused on that script writing because we might be recording the last piece of the program first. So we have to know everything we're doing in order, in order to help that audience really connect with us so you can do that stewardship work the next day because they were so impressed with the experience. I think that's really smart. Amanda, and I also just think that um, the hyper, that's a place that probably also deserved more of a hyper focus in the ballroom days too. You're right. Uh, I, I really do think that that's true. I How many times I used to hear, um, oh, well, the program has to be only 35 minutes because the volunteer chairs say that the, uh, you know, the attendees won't want a program longer than 35 minutes and we have to get them back to the dessert table. And, um, and I would always say, well, they only, they want 35 minutes or do they want actually a good solid quality program? And I think sometimes it, the program becomes secondary to the entire experience in a, when you're in a real ballroom. Um, so we're talking with um, Liz Page and Amanda Harless, who are um, uh, the folks behind Liz Page Associates, which is a special event um, uh, special event company out of uh, Boston. Uh, they've been in business for 25 years and they've never had a year like this one. Um, and, um, and I would love to hear, um, uh, the story of an event, um, a a bit of a case study. It can either be an event that you had contracted that was going to be a kind of standard gala, um, or, um, it, it could be one where people said, okay, it's time to recreate. So I, and I'd like to, and, and, and use this case study, for folks who are listening to take notes on the sort of the recipe, the pieces of success that they should be focused in on when they do this work. So um, um, uh, toss a case study my way and tell me, let's, uh, I'll, I'll listen while you tell me a story. Right. Well, let's start by going back to the New England Innocence Project that Liz talked about. And and we have case studies, Joan, that fall into all of those categories um, that you referenced earlier. So we can, we can touch on a a couple or a few today if you'd like. Um, Innocence Project was a big shift. You know, last year, they had exonerees come and do moth-style storytelling from the stage. Wow. They told robust stories, um, you know, beginning, middle, and end of their experience with their wrongful conviction. Yep. They connected with the audience in, in an incredible way. It was so emotional in that room. 
the exonerees received standing ovations. Um, and Liz, I think you you felt, well, how are we going to top that next year? Because it felt like a, a perfect event. Um, and then that event could not happen this year. It when was it, uh, what were they scheduled to have it at a certain time of year? Yes, yes, it was it was scheduled um, you know, uh, this fall. Okay. Um, so it became it became clear very early on um, that we weren't going to be able to host the event uh, live, and that our venue might not be around to continue hosting the event. And that played out. Of course, the venue is closed now, wow. um, and. Um, you know, we we talk so often about the silver linings of these events, and and this this is a case of a silver lining. The number of guests we could have fit inside that event space was lower than the number of guests we end up having attend the virtual event, and then we put the virtual event online uh, for viewing after the fact, and we get to keep increasing our audience. Um, so that's an event that had incredibly moving, powerful storytelling, and. You know, I think we ended up feeling like it was a stronger event this year than it was last year, and we were incredibly proud of last year's event. So, what? To, so, tell me about the, the the event itself and how you approached. So, does the in, in this virtual event then <clears throat> is the whole event the program? Is that sort of is that is that the key to a virtual event? Essentially, the the event is the program. There's no, there's that you hyper-focus is there. Talk a little bit about how you approached the design of the program um, to sort of maximize impact. Sure. Well, let me tell you first the pieces of this event. And, and this is, these are not the same pieces we've used for every event. Mm-hmm. So for New England Innocence Project, the program was a pre-recorded approximately 40 minutes. Um, it included a number of elements, but it was a lovely pre-recorded piece. During the event, guests could live chat right on the screen with the video, and they also had the donation options right on the screen. Um, So there was a live ask as part of the program, and guests could make their gift and continue watching the video. Following that pre-recorded piece, we invited all of the guests to join a live Zoom webinar um, where there was a roundtable discussion with um, some exonerees, the executive director, and um, a state representative who's been very supportive of the mission. Um, So there was uh, pre-recorded edited content, but also live in the moment content that you could again experience on chat. So there were ways to engage as an audience, even though though the audience wasn't on screen like you would be in a Zoom meeting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Anything you would add, Liz, to the how it was different the words i heard here so i don't typically when i go to a ballroom gala i don't typically interact right i might text my donation to but i don't typically interact i don't ask questions usually it's a too big a room and i also heard intimacy right it was a pre-recorded um, liz spoke about intimacy earlier um i've got this pre-recorded beautifully produced piece that tells this story and really brings it to life for me. What else, what else is the superpower of the virtual event in this case with the New England Innocent Project? Well, one of the things that is a beautiful addition is that you get to edit. You get to film in advance. Um, so one of the things we did 
the the um, Arc of Justice Award was a, a centerpiece of this event, awarding a group of attorneys who had worked tirelessly to free this particular prisoner. And instead of having the executive director go up to a podium, talk about this, present the award, have a traditional acceptance speech, we put all of them in a Zoom conversation. So the exoneree was sitting in the midst of these four or five other people who had been integral in the past, you know, 10 years to working towards their freedom. And the exoneree could talk about how emotional and important it was that these people volunteered their time to listen to his story and to get him out of prison. And then in often a tearful way, these attorneys talked about how important it was for them and what they contributed to get this man out. So you could have this big conversation and then you could take it into the editing room and pick out the gems and the jewels and make it this beautiful, flowing uh, discovery and this, this message of gratitude that was, that was very emotional. Um, you know, you can't do that live. Yeah, no, I, uh, so uh, I, I'm picking that, I'm picking that out is you can, you can play with format in a completely different way. And what you did was re- you created, which would never happen at a gala, a conversation. Yes. Now that doesn't. By the way, I don't know that you couldn't actually do that at a at a gala. We we don't typically do that because it takes too much time, or you don't exactly know what everybody's going to talk about. Which That's is the a, thing, Joe. Which is an you executive run, director's worst nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> you run the risk. You're a high wire act when it's live. You know, you don't know how that moderator or that host is going to be able to control everybody and whether this one character is going to go on for five minutes and it'll be awkward to, you know, stop them or interject. You and and I do want to talk about live versus pre-recorded in a minute here. OK, go ahead. Uh, about the, in the virtual world. But um, you you take a risk when you do that kind of thing live. Right. That it's going to go south on you and it's not going to be easy to rein it in. So I want to ask another question here. So I want to ask about, so stay with the New England Innocence Project and to the extent that you're able to share, um, uh, was the event relative to the the five-star um, in-person event you did last year that you didn't think you could top, that you clearly have topped. Um, was it easier or harder? Was it cheaper or more expensive? It was harder. There's a lot of pieces to coordinate. Um, but it was lower in expense than the previous year. Right. And they exceeded their fundraising goals pre-event. They exceeded their sponsorship goals. But what we're still trying to figure out, and the jury is out still, is the fund emission. Last year, that fund emission was phenomenally successful. In a difficult uh, environment, I'll tell you, last year when we did this event, it was on a snow night. Uh And we expected 220 people there. And I think when we got down to it, maybe there were 140. But we still raised more than $40,000 in the room that night. Is that what you mean when you say fund emission? That's the, that's the ask that's from the, the stage? That's the live ask. Okay. Yep. You've heard the story. 
this is, you've heard what the New England Innocence Project is doing. Now is your moment to invest and make a gift that is meaningful to you. Right. Hit that, you know, raise your bid card in that instance, raise your bid card and make a pledge right now. We're asking for, are there angels in the room who will give us $10,000? And you go from 10 to five to a thousand to 500. In the virtual world, we're still trying to figure out is that powerful moment, can that be captured or recreated? I have to say, so far, we have not met the kind of fundraising. We have not seen the kind of fundraising success for that live ask that we used to see in a ballroom. Amanda, I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, we're just, we're missing that um, social pressure and social yeah. reward yep. um, of yep. the of the live paddle raise. And, and even though we can show names on screen, um, we haven't replicated that feeling that um, washes over a room when you see virtually everyone giving and it's so emotional. We're still searching for that moment. Yeah. Um, t- tell it me used about to a- be in, It used to be in ballrooms. When that moment happened and it was really, you know, cooking with gas, that people would actually be crying as they raised their bid card because it is such an emotional wave of generosity and compassion that hits that room. Yep. It, it, it was always, for the most part, the emotional highlight of the night to see people saying, how can I help? I want to do more. Yep. Count me in. But you don't get that in the virtual world. Um, so a couple of other questions. Um, so more people attended New England Innocence Project virtually. Um, t- uh, ticket price lower, presumably, right? Was there a, t- was there a no ticket price? No ticket price. No free. ticket price. Okay. And so, free is a new word in our vocabulary. We were not familiar with that word. We did not want to get familiar with that word. If you said that word to us, we did not want to continue that conversation. I, well, I can, I can imagine that executive directors and uh, development chairs of boards probably saw free as a four-letter word too. Actually, free is a four-letter word now that I think of yes. it. <laughs> Yes, it was. And now free is a game changer because we can eliminate barriers to entry to these events. So it's come one, come all. We can promote the event broadly. We can use social media, including paid social media advertising, which is surprisingly affordable. And what we can do is expand the audience and then offer expanded visibility benefits to our sponsors. Well, that actually, you just actually hit my... The perfect segue, which is <clears throat> corporate sponsors want visibility, right? And I was, and I'm very interested in the virtual world and corporate sponsorship. What are you seeing? And what did you see with New England Innocence Project? We're seeing more investment. We're seeing if you were a friend in the, in the past, it's likely that you're going to still maintain that friendship and that level of commitment. That's what we're seeing now. I have to say, I look at 2021 with a little bit of a beating heart, thinking, is that yet another different environment where people are exhausted, where profits are down? Um, will that will that generosity stay? COVID will be old news by then. We are not going to want to talk about it. Um, but right now, we're seeing corporate sponsors uh, stay there or increase and be grateful for the virtual benefits that we've been creating for them. 
So um, I want—I just want to go back to the word "free" for a moment because I—I I think there are probably some executive directors listening that that stopped listening after the word "free." Um, so, did you um, did New England Innocence Project hit its fundraising goal for that event? Did it lower the fundraising? Like, so where did the money come from? Did it come from corporate sponsorships and the in the in the sort of in the virtual room? Ask is that largely where the revenues came from? They exceeded their goal before the event went on air. And How it was so? With sponsorships. With sponsorships. With the free event, with the virtual world, you have to conduct a traditional sponsorship campaign with a digital sponsorship brochure and benefits and categories and just like you did in the past. That hasn't changed at all. That's so interesting. Okay. And you're, and giving, and also, you're giving them more visibility. Go ahead, Amanda. Right. And and what we've also done, um, uh, uh, we did an event for the Boston Preservation Alliance, and we used the ticketing in a few different ways for that event. So we conducted the traditional sponsorship campaign. We made uh, general tickets free for everyone. If you wanted to upgrade to a young uh, professional membership, you could. If you wanted to upgrade to a membership, you could for modest dollars. And then if you wanted to, in their case, upgrade to just a $100 ticket, you got access to a post-event sponsor networking reception. So there were tiers and reasons to upgrade. Um, and, and that's a model that we see we see working a lot. Yeah, I actually um, uh, was engaged with an AMFAR event and there was sort of a the equivalent of what the theater does as a talkback after mm-hmm. they had a screening of, uh, you know, a film and then they had a talkback. The, the film was free. The talkback was an upsell. And um, and I do think I, I think this is why, again, in the, in the world of what does challenge what do challenging times make possible People want to be engaged with the content and the issues. One hundred percent agree. And we do not give them enough opportunity. We don't even give our board members enough opportunity to do that. But like to dig into, you know, sort of what are this? What are the issues facing the sector? Right. This is another way to bring people very close to the organization because they become you know, sort of mini sector experts of their own, which is, which leads me to, I think the last thing I want to talk about, which is not big, big events, but there's an opportunity for all kinds of smaller kinds of events that I've been highly recommending to um, executive director clients that I coach around salons. And right, how do you, you, I can get I can get an expert who I'm never going to be able to fly in to join me via Zoom. I can get the person who runs a foundation that funds us to talk about what the funder is looking for. Like there's so many ways to bring people to you. I've got a I've got one client that's doing board university and they're doing monthly salons that are just like 40 minutes that are actually providing professional development to all the members of the board so that they can actually do the understand their jobs and actually do them effectively. So I also think this whole enrichment piece is is a huge opportunity in the virtual space. Absolutely. And I, I just want to say from a business standpoint, once we got our PPE funding, we were so incredibly grateful, Joan, that we created a Liz Page Associates four-part salon. And we brought in branding experts, communications, 
technical experts and um, design and design. And we opened it up for free and said, join us, learn about these, um, you know, these industries, learn how can learn how you can utilize them now in this virtual world, be our guest, learn with us. Um, We are so grateful. We want to give back to the community. Lovely. That is lovely. It 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 was such a feel good moment for us too to yeah. say, you know, we're we're tired of hearing it, but it is so true. We are all in this together, yep. and we have to help each other through this. And Joan, we have a client um, that's an independent school that is actually using their content to steward their donors. So they have all these great teachers and all these great sessions and speakers that are happening. Well, that may be of interest to parents and alums and current grandparents. And just because you've created something, you know, to use as part of your admissions video, doesn't mean it should only live there. You may want to show it to your alumni and use it as a way to engage them. So look at your content as this vast resource and figure out how to use it in creative ways. Fantastic. And you know what? I want to add this because we learned it from a client and I think it's so true. People want to learn something. They want to walk away from an event knowing something more, having a deeper understanding of it. So give them that in this virtual world. Um. So I wanted a, a last question. We're going to give it to us. We'll start with Amanda and we'll end with Liz Page. Um, get out your crystal ball, my friends. What do you see in 2021 around nonprofits and special events? And what advice do you have for somebody who's standing on elliptical right now um, or driving to work? Actually, they're probably not driving to work. <laughs> They're not driving to They're work. They're not no. driving to work. Never mind. They're that's in right. sweatpants. They're, that, right. They're wearing sweatpants, <laughs> just like Amanda's. They just walked the dog. Or, God, they're trying to get their their fourth grader to pay attention on that computer. God love them. I know. Okay. So, Amanda, what advice, what, what do you, anything that you anticipate in 2021 and or a piece of advice for the folks who are listening? Piece of advice I would say is if you fully canceled your events in 2020, it's it's time to start planning again. Um, come with us into the virtual world. We're going to be exclusively virtual for a while, but the longer term look is that the future is hybrid. Um, we won't be going back to the old way of doing things. We won't get some of our audiences back to the ballroom, for example. They're just simply not coming back. And that may be a large segment of our audience. So what we'll have to do in the future is figure out a way to bring the live audience and the home audience together for a hybrid event in a way that doesn't make the home audience feel like a second-class citizen. If you think you'll go back to your old format and just throw a camera up in the back of the ballroom and send that feed uh, to people in their homes, that's wrong. They're not going to stay around. They're going to drop off after three minutes. So our job as event producers is going to be uh, to completely reimagine and reconfigure live events when we are safely able to gather again. And for those people who, for whom they say, oh my gosh, if I have to go to one more ballroom. I have to pull out my black tie suit. Let's see if it still fits. And am I going to have the Chilean sea bass or am I going to have the sort of filet? Like they're looking for something different. And I think there's an opportunity in that. Liz Page, you get the last word. 
Nobody wants to stand in that 45 minute line for the valet to bring your car around again (laughs) after a ballroom event. So my last word is in the dichotomy, the mystery of life, just when we think we're so separate from each other and so isolated, I want to invite you into the intimacy and beautiful and the beauty of the virtual world because we can share so much together and find a, find that moment of togetherness um, in this virtual world that is such a gift and such a discovery. So don't be afraid of it embrace it. And I think you're going to be fascinated by what you discover. Um, uh, I think we leave it right there. Liz Page, Amanda Harless, thank you so much. You actually, um, I I am guessing that there are a lot of people who listen today who said, yeah, 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 that's good. I learned a lot that the, those that, that's really good advice. So um, our job, I, I think we can say we um, we had a good day at the office today. So Liz and Amanda, thank you both so much. You are welcome, Joan. Great to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks Amanda, so much for having us. Yeah. Amanda, thank you as well. Thank you so much for having us. Um, so thanks a lot for listening. Um, I, I know I actually got a lot out of that conversation. I hope you did too. Um, and um, I just wanted to say, um, as always, uh, I can't thank you enough for the work that you do. Uh, as far as my work is concerned, I, I'm a woman with a mission who looks to see how I can um, make your life as a leader and a manager better um, and fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. You can learn more about my work at joangary.com. And uh, I have a, don't have a, take a look at uh, book.joangary.com. I have a new edition of my book uh, that is out. And, um, you know, some people uh, watched Netflix and Schitt's Creek during the lockdown. I rewrote my book. So have a look and uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thanks for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.